Chapter Twenty Six of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six Emergencies. By dint of eager pushing and breathless haste, Maria kept the flying feet ahead of her in sight, and at last they reached the goal. Such a wonderful change as those few minutes had accomplished! Where was the light which had made a glow on all the faces but a moment before? A sudden tumbling of a few tar-barrels, a sudden change in the current of wind, and that part of the square was in gloom. Besides, the people tired suddenly, it would seem, of the sight on which they were so eagerly gazing but a moment before, had surged and swayed, and were breaking in all directions, men, women, and children, in crowds and throngs, but not the man or the child, at least Maggie seemed not to find them, as she pushed her way through, peering eagerly into the face of every man or woman who held a child by the hand. It was a hopeless search. It looked so to Maria in a very few minutes after she got among that throng, yet she dared not speak, dared not say, It is of no use, the child is gone, you were mistaken, or if you were not, he is lost in the crowd. That would seem too bitter a thing to say, so near to him and yet to have lost him, could any pain be harder than that? It was perfectly awful, she said, telling over the experience to Tom the next day, for the search ended and they got back to the hotel, Maria hardly knew how. I don't know how Maggie could have felt, I know I felt like death. Was there ever anything so dreadful? The police ought to have been instantly notified, said Tom. Such precious time was lost. The police, echoed Maria, and her countenance fell. Why, what could they do, and how should they have been notified? Do? They could have stationed guards and watched the trains and boats. There were three trains and two boats left before they were notified. They could have been sure that the persons were not in any of them. It would have been easy enough to notify them. Any decent man you met would have sent a message to headquarters. You should learn what to do in emergencies, Maria. Now, wasn't this a hard sentence to bear? She, who had prided herself on her talent for managing emergencies, who had puzzled her brains half the night over the query, what could she do to help Maggie, and had finally settled down into the belief that there was nothing to do but accept the hard fate. Then she spent hours in planning what might have been done. How easy God might have ruled that they should have been in time to have seized that child, and have borne him off in triumph. This was what she would have arranged had she ruled the world. By so much, then, was she wiser and more merciful than God. She did not see that this was the inevitable conclusion which her logic reached. She would have been shocked at that thought. Most grumblers would be shocked at the mathematical results of their reasoning. But now Maria was more than shocked. She was disgusted and of all persons with whom to be disgusted in this trying world, the most trying one is one's self, because one does not like to set to work and give one's self a real downright talking to, though nothing could be more profitable sometimes. Maria contented herself with frowning gloomily. I wonder she didn't think of that, she said at last, the necessity for blaming somebody seeming to be upon her. I don't wonder at that at all, she was almost wild, I suppose, and was not to be expected to think connectedly. 
the wonder is that you allowed such a sensible move as that to be neglected for so long a time how should i think anything about the police grumbled maria i haven't had to do with such scrapes then i advise you to impress it upon your memory that hereafter when you want to find a lost child the most reasonable thing you can do is to notify the authorities whose business it is to help you and the sooner you do this the better will you exhibit your common sense tom spoke quickly vexed by maria's apparent hardness into a departure from his quiet manner have you been over to see maggie this morning he presently asked speaking in his usual tone no i haven't and i have no desire to go why because i have a little bit of feeling left though you seem to think you are the only one so affected i don't want to see her i cannot imagine anything more terrible it is a wonder to me that she keeps her senses i wonder what she thinks of all her prayers now great good they did it was as bad as losing him the second time just a tantalizing glimpse and then gone i should go wild or be an infidel i'm sure i have nothing at all to say to comfort her if anybody has i advise them to say it all i can say is i don't understand such dealings there is no man living who would be so inhuman as that can't endure the thought of meeting her again tom smiled a peculiar smile you go over and see her maria go as soon as you can it will do you good now though maria had not the slightest intention of following this advice though she assured herself that she wouldn't go near there for at least a week an irresistible impulse seemed to draw her in that direction she went that very afternoon went up the stairs with a softly tread such as one instinctively assumes in the presence of death and tapped softly at the door no answer was maggie buried among her pillows in bitter weeping or was she sitting in apathy her senses dulled by the bitterness of her grief maria waited a minute then softly opened the door the room was vacant maria preserved an outward calm but in inward anxiety sought for her friend who could tell but in her despair she had wandered away as she had done before leaving no trace of her flight one and another of the girls she met putting the same question do you know where maggie is and received the same answer no ma'am i haven't seen her since dinner it began now to grow very serious still maria bravely kept her own counsel for which she could not be too thankful when she finally reached the storeroom and found maggie weighing out sugar preparatory to making sponge cake for tea she was very pale and there were dark rings under her eyes as one might look who had not slept much the night before and who had shed some hot tears but she turned with her usual smile to greet her friend i have been hoping for you all day she said speaking with utmost quietness of voice i was afraid the wild way i led you last night might have tired you very much i am not so easily tired but i am very much astonished i went to your room and expected to find you in bed oh no i am not sleepy i slept some last night and i have had to be very busy all day i suppose there is no news yet and she looked up with a sudden gleam of wild hope in her eyes maria shook her head your brother has been so kind she said he was up half the night putting the police on the track 
writing out descriptions of them to post in conspicuous places, and I don't know what he has done, everything that could be done, I am sure. What a blessed thing it is to have such friends at such a time. Do you expect any results? Maria asked, skeptically. She was so wonderfully quiet, and stirred that flour and egg so dexterously, it did not seem cruel to say anything to her. Results? Indeed I do. I feel hopeful today, more so than I have for a long time. I have had a good deal to encourage me. Think what a blessed sight it was. I saw my darling as plainly as I see you at this moment, and he looked plump and well, and he clung to his papa's neck, not as if he were frightened, but as if he was happy and enjoyed it all. And his papa was sober. I know that, for I have watched him so long and so well, I can tell with one swift glance. Oh, if there was ever a direct answer to prayer, my gleam last night was one. My prayer has been a mixture of petition and thanksgiving today. Now all this might as well have been spoken in Greek, so far as Maria's understanding of such a state of mind was concerned. But that which we do not understand can sometimes thrill us mightily, and Maria Randolph turned away from that pantry door with a strange sense of her own littleness and uselessness, and of the wonderful nature of prayer. "'I admire her pluck, anyhow,' she said. But she knew it was not pluck. She knew it was something that she had not, and that Maggie had never possessed until that night when she learned to pray. She had taken great strides in the Christian life in a little time. A great sorrow is a wonderful educator. But all that Maria did not understand. She went directly home, and she thought much about it all during the rest of that day. "'If you would go and hear him,' said Dick Norton, speaking to her with a sort of wistful earnestness that amused, while it surprised her, you would know how he says these things that I try to tell you. They ain't queer as they sound when I tell them in a blundering fashion. They are worth hearing. What if I should go? Maria said, pausing on her way to the pantry as she cleared the tea-table. Tom had been over to tea, and the table had been set with ceremony once more. That is a new idea. I am eager for something new. I live a stupid life nowadays. But this is the reading-room night, isn't it? My brother will be engaged. Dick, will you take care of me if I will go to the meeting with you? I will that. There is nothing I would like to do better. The energy with which he spoke amused her again, and, adding to the sudden impulse to have something new in her humdrum life, a kindly desire to give Dick Norton pleasure, she made ready to accompany him to the Fleet Street Church, to hear the minister who had been preaching there every evening for a week, and in whom Dick was wonderfully interested. The church was crowded when they reached there, and the exercises were commenced. A gentleman arose to let Maria have his seat. She glanced up at him with a bow of thanks. He had a child in his arms, a little boy. The boy had an arm wound half around the gentleman's neck, and his hand toyed caressingly with grey locks of hair. The sermon may have been effective. Indeed, I know it was. There were those present who will remember it, not only for this world but for the next, because of the power it had in influencing their future lives. But Maria heard not a word of it all. From first to last she never took her fascinated eyes away from the face of the man who held the little child in his arms, 
and who found a sitting on one of the aisle-seats near her. She shielded her gaze by peeping through her fingers, but not a movement of the strangers escaped her. Something, she could not have told what or why, either the caressing hand of the child or the likeness to the shadow which he had seen defined against the glare of light in the square, or the mysterious sense of insight that seems sometimes given, either or all of these so powerfully impressed the matter-of-fact Maria Randolph that she had just self-control enough left to wait with feverish impatience for the benediction before she executed a bold plan which she had formed. "'Follow close to me, Dick, and don't let that man escape us for the world!' This was the tragic whisper that fell on Dick's astonished ear as the amen was spoken and the crowd began to surge toward the door. There was to be an inquiry meeting, and many stood quietly in their seats waiting for the people to pass out. Maria moved toward the door, followed closely by Dick, and she on her part following with eager steps the man who held the little child, now sleeping quietly in his arms. In the vestibule he halted, so did Maria. "'Won't you go to the second meeting?' a man asked, stopping before the stranger. "'I would,' he said promptly, "'if it were not for my little boy, he ought to be at rest.' "'We need much help to-night,' the other said. "'It is a blessed time.' And the man with the child answered heartily, "'Indeed it is.' Every word he spoke made it less probable that Maria was right, yet she clung to her determination. No police could be more vigilant than she would be to-night. She turned toward him. "'Dick, stand close by me,' she said in a low tone. Then she addressed the stranger. "'Aren't you Mr. Harry Reader, and isn't this child named Wallace?' He looked down at her quickly. "'Yes,' he said, and if Maria had not been intent on carrying out her plans, she would have noted the sudden catching of his breath. "'Who are you?' "'Never mind who I am.' If you will give me that child, I will take him to his mother, and the sooner you give yourself into the hands of the police as a disreputable vagrant, the less trouble you will make us all. Maria prided herself on the cool contempt, stinging in every word, of this sentence. So sure was she of her man that she had been preparing this message during the sermon. She had not planned the result that speedily followed. She had reckoned as if the man before her were a puppet to be played on as she chose. Had she leveled a pistol at his heart and taken true aim, he couldn't have dropped more suddenly and silently than he did before her. There was much confusion now, and Maria had the benefit of seeing how well she could act in an emergency. Her wits served her well. She talked rapidly and to the point. "'Don't surround him so,' she said. The man is in a dead faint. I gave him news too suddenly. Take the child, one of you. Dick, call a carriage. Or no, one of you gentlemen, please call a carriage, and then if you will help him into it, we shall be all right in a few minutes. Dick, see here. Get a policeman to take a ride with us. This in a low tone to the amazed Dick. Then Maria raised her eyes again and met the searching gaze of one of Tom's friends. She was equal to that. "'Dr. Preston,' she said coolly, "'I shall have to press you into service. Is this anything more than a faint?' "'No,' he said quietly. "'The man is reviving. What do you want done?' "'I want him taken to the Randolph house as speedily as possible. 
he is one for whom my brother has been searching in much less time than it has taken me to tell it the strange party were on their way to the randolph house dr preston who had invited himself to go with them resting the head of the fainting man on his shoulder maria with the sleeping boy in her arms dick close beside her and the policeman mounting guard with the driver and wondering for what he could be wanted to accompany a respectable-looking party three of them gentlemen home from a religious meeting tom was standing on the brightly lighted piazza looking after a carriage load of departing guests he waited while the next carriage drove up what now he asked as the policeman swung himself to the ground i don't know sir said the policeman touching his hat i am detailed to convey this party from fleet street church to this house and i believe they are all here dick norton was the first to alight he could give no sort of information as to why he was there dr preston followed steadying the steps of the man who seemed dizzy and bewildered preston exclaimed tom his surprise increasing every moment what's up a sick man is down and we are ordered here for the reason why ask your sister i must get this man safe he is like to faint again finally down clambered maria clinging closely to the sleeping boy she issued her orders like a general is he going to faint again did you say take him to the hall sofa dick pay the carriage and dismiss it tom here is maggie's boy i have him safe you see and no thank you i mean to keep him safe until i can put him in her arms but i desire you to see that i notified the police as you gave me direction to do as to what his duty is in the matter you will have to inform him for i don't know and she vanished with her precious burden from tom's astounded gaze End of chapter twenty six